Welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast with Ruth Haley Barton. In this season of the podcast, Ruth invites leaders with diverse callings and expertise to dialogue and explore how spiritual transformation intersects with some of the most significant topics of our time. Hello, friends. I'm really excited to be having a conversation today with a good friend of mine, Aaron Nequist. He is the author of the book, The Eternal Current, and he also founded and led the practice at Willow Creek Community Church uh, at its beginnings. And Aaron and I have a really long history together, so it's fun to have a conversation with a good friend. So welcome, Aaron. So glad you're with us today. Hey, Ruth. Good to be with you. Well, I, when I think about Aaron and our history, I think about the fact that we really have been one degree removed from each other for pretty much all of his life. I've, I'm older than he is, so but all of his life, I yeah. feel like we've been one degree removed until we finally actually got to make a connection a few years ago. Um, and now Aaron does work with us here in the Transforming Center as our worship leader in Transforming Community 15. So we're actually leading worship together these days and cultivating the, the, the practices that are really beautiful and transforming within the worship gathering and within the worship space. The other thing that's really interesting is that our faith traditions are the same. We were both raised Plymouth Brethren, which um, that is a really odd connection that we have. <laughs> and so there are some idiosyncrasies that would probably characterize both of us and yes. our journeys that we can yep. talk about today as well. We were never in the same Plymouth Brethren church, but we were both raised in that kind of quirky tradition. Am I speaking of that right, Aaron? Oh, yeah. I, quirky's a good word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we're going to say more about that as we go, because yeah. I, I do really love the idea that everything belongs, Yeah, as Richard Rohr says. And so, of course, for all of us in our journeys, there's often this stage where we let go and move away from what has been our tradition, but then by God's grace over time, God often brings it back around in some way yes. that, that helps us to see that everything belongs in our spiritual journeys and that nothing is wasted and that God uses everything, which is such a beautiful idea and truth. Agreed. Yeah, let's definitely talk about that. Yeah. That has been really, really helpful. So, yes. Yeah. So then... Um, you know, I was, I, I can't even remember exactly, Aaron, how our journeys at Willow Creek overlapped because we didn't meet each yeah. other at Willow, but we were both there at different times. Right. What's your perspective on that? Maybe you remember it better than I do. Yeah, I think I was aware of you um, and especially your writings because I think you'd already left Willow at that point by the time I was uh, getting into more of these contemplative streams. And whenever I'd talk to somebody, they'd be like, oh yeah, have you read Ruth's book? Mm. And so I think I was aware of you first as a writer leader before we actually connected. So we were never there at the same time. Is that think correct? So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think right. you saw that I was joining the staff and you're like, oh, I'm out of here. Mm, like, yeah, there there goes the neighborhood. That. I'm jumping ship. So <laughs> no, I don't happened. think so. Yeah. Yeah. And then I became aware, you know, we had <laughs> we founded the Transforming Center then that was really very much about a practice-based experience. And then... Um, after that, and as you continued your journey in the practice, then there was a moment when you invited me into what you were doing. Yeah, that was, we were, we wanted you to come right away. And we were finally able to find a date where you came. And I, I believe you taught about desire. Yes. Uh, beginning the spiritual journey with desire. And it was such a beautiful and holy night. And I mean, as you could probably tell, as you looked around the practice, um, many aspects of what we were doing and trying to become really was influenced by you and the Transforming Center. 
So I wonder if it was a little bit surreal or, or weird <laughs> for you to kind of see like, wow, there's some of the values we've mm-hmm. been teaching. Now this little community in uh, Chicago is trying to flesh it out. So yeah. it was a cool night. I think it's really gracious of you to say that. And I think that also speaks really strongly, though, to the depth of our journey in terms of the mutual influence that we've had, you know, in our, yeah. in our shared journey. And yeah. that both of us are still living, living out this call in our lives in different locations and in different ways. But God yeah. brings us together sometimes when that's the right thing to do. And, of course, now you come to us um, in Transforming Community and you're really bringing your whole self to that in a way yeah. that's just elevating our experience in the worship oh, gatherings cool. Thank you. of the transforming community. So it's just a, it's just a beautiful journey. And then I got to endorse your great book, the, the eternal current. I think you yes, endorsed mine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like the, 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 the beat goes on, doesn't it? <laughs> Fun in our way. That's right. That's right. Oh, so I'm grateful. And it's wonderful to touch in to that, that reality of God at work in our life and, and bringing our ministries and, and persons together when that will serve the kingdom in some good way. I'm grateful yeah. for that. Yeah, me too. Well, let's jump into the topic of our time. We're going to talk about practice-based faith and also worship within that, that context. And um, one of the things I wanted to bring up right away is your statement about the fact that beliefs are important, but they're not nearly enough. You say yeah. that at the very beginning of your book. And I think that's a, a wonderful way to state it because you're not dismissing belief because no. there, there's yeah. a certain amount of belief that you have to have even in order to practice. Amen. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the things that we believe so strongly in the Transforming Center that we, we teach. There's a lot of teaching, but we teach to set up the experience. That's always my goal. Give people exactly. enough teaching yes. that they can lean in, that they know that what we're doing is biblical, um, that they know the rationale, they understand it well enough to give themselves to it. So yes. that's a deeply shared um, uh, belief that you and I have, that, that, yes. that the disciplines need to be set up well. You need to have enough belief to set them up, but yep. they're not nearly enough. So would you talk about your journey to this discovery, that beliefs are important, but they're yeah, not? Yeah, absolutely. Um well, I, I think like any discovery, it came out of my own faith crisis. So I don't know if that's how you've done most of your mm-hmm. learning. Most of my learning has, been, has come from things kind of imploding and just saying, whoa, 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 what is going on? And then through God's graciousness, out of the cr- kind of crumbling, these new things emerge. And what it was for me is I, you know, like you, you mentioned, grew up in this very beliefs-based faith. I mean, you were a good Christian if you believed the right stuff. In fact, you were going to heaven for eternity if you believed the right facts Mm -hmm. about God. And so that was, I think that, uh, again, we're not dismissing beliefs, they're really important, but that only got me so far. And in my early 20s, that began, began to end. Because if it's just about facts in my brain that don't actually work themselves into my life, into my relationships, into my communities, then I I, I think I need to be done with that. And that was really crumbling. And so at that time, I started reading Dallas Willard. Mm -hmm. um, And someone had given me The Divine Conspiracy. And it was this idea of the kingdom that we get to participate in. And I'm embarrassed. I was a Christian 23 or 24 years and had never heard a clear teaching about the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, wait, 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 if I'm not just invited to believe correctly, but I'm invited to join with, to participate, 
mm-hmm. I'm in. And so that led me into, into, okay, so what do I do then? And what do I begin to practice? And how do I engage not just my brain, but my whole self? And I think I wrote in the book, Jesus didn't say, here is the truth, believe it. Jesus said, I am the truth, follow me, mm-hmm. join me. The invitation is participation. And it is not hyperbole. I love hyperbole, you know, as a excitable Enneagram 4. I love the, the grand statement. This is not, this idea has changed my life and kept me a follower of Christ. Yeah. And I do it poorly like we all do, but I am in all the way. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Well, um, what's so interesting about what you're saying is this idea of participation, because I think that, yeah. first of all, the invitational language is really significant. Um, for me and for us in the Transforming Center, as it is for you, yeah. um, that we are invited, we're not forced, we're not coerced, yep. we're not manipulated yep. into these things. Because, you know, talking about our shared history within the tradition that we were raised in, I did feel so many oughts and shoulds and forced and had to do this and had to be that. And it was so hard to, to find a way, you know, to yeah. break out to something yeah. that was more dynamic and that fit yeah. her. Um, with a dynamic living human journey. That's right. That was beyond just the head, but that was the experience, that was the participation. Yep. Um, And so I love that part of what you're sharing. Um, And also the fact that beliefs don't take us into the deep waters. They don't, they don't always take us into the the deeper stream. Yes. Because you can just stay in your head and never participate. Yes. If you stay at that level. Well, you know, even, you know, when I ask my, my kids about school, I mean, even the educational system, the education system is kind of uh, messed up as it can be at times. I'll ask Henry, you know, how often will your teacher lecture for 45 minutes? Mm-hmm. And he'll say, never. <laughs> Teachers would never in a school setting lecture as if that would um, teach the students everything they need to know, because we don't just learn by having new thoughts put in our brain. Um, but so often in our faith traditions, what is the center of what we do when we come together? One person gets up and does a lecture. And again, we are not dis, uh, disparaging. Yeah, that's the word. We're not saying that's not important. It's so critical. It's just not the end goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What I find in our circles, Aaron, though, is that um, given the fact that certain traditions, like the Protestant tradition and certainly the Protestant evangelical tradition and others um, are so, so facts-based, so, um, so focused on theology and dogma that they're not able to make the transition to practice without enough teaching to be sure they're on some sort of solid ground within, within the the broad Christian tradition. Yeah. Which is why I, you know, for myself in our settings, I know what the purpose of our teachings are. Yes. They're, they're not yes. about gaining information. They are That's to right. set up this ability to give ourselves, to jump into the deep end of the pool, to give ourselves to the current, to say, we're, yes. we're, in, we're in God, we're within our, our, our faith, we're within our Christian yes. faith. And what when I, people can see that, yes. then they can give themselves so much more fully yeah. to the swim, you know, to the if current. I, They'll jump if, in. If I had to describe what you're doing in those teachings, Ruth, it would be, you're doing many things, but one of the primary things that I observe you to do, be doing is removing roadblocks. Mm. You are helping dismantle the walls that we've put up um, that stop us from these 
truly life and soul transforming practices. And you're just saying, well, let me tell you a little about this. Let me tell you, you, you know, you don't have to be afraid of this. You have to keep this in mind. And um, I love the way you winsomely invite us in, in that way. Oh, well, thank you. And what's interesting is that that, you know, if, you know, we will probably weave in and out of things that were hard in our early yeah. Christian lives, but then the ways in which God's brought it all back. And yeah. the thing that you just mentioned is one of the great um, gifts that I've received from my tradition is that we just knew our Bibles. Yes. <laughs> because we yes. were because we were who we were. That's right. Bible believing Christians. Man, we started teaching our children like I was two when I started memorizing the scriptures. I mean, I was <laughs> when I started memorizing the yeah. scriptures, I think. Yeah. And I went to Dallas Theological Seminary with my dad when I was four. Like I oh teach I, I tell yes. people I went to seminary when I was four, five, and six. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yes. you know, it's um on the one hand, I too came to the place where all that heady information gathering wasn't serving the deeper journey that my soul was longing for. Yeah. And now God's brought that back around for me to realize if I started now trying, trying to study my Bible and know all that I know now, I, I couldn't do it. But God yeah. gave it to me and now it's in me right. and I can all offer that. that really easily in those studies. Oh, it's the yes. thing I do, you know, because it's yeah. just part of what I lived. Um, yes. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, yeah. And to be honest, I'm really wrestling with how to do that well with our kids right oh, now. Oh, yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. There's other young parents out there who are listening. And oh, go man. And talk about that. I, you know, I won't give too many details yeah. so in case someone would know what this specifically was. But mm -hmm. there was something that was in our area for Henry, um, who was, I think, in fourth or fifth grade at the time, to really learn the Bible. And so we brought him that first night, and then we were walking home, and I said, so Henry, what, did, what, what Bible did you learn tonight? And he says, well, we, we weren't quite doing the Bible, we were doing the, the big lessons. And I said, okay, what was the first lesson? And he paused, and he said, God gave us the Bible to show us we are sinners. Yeah. And I, we were walking across the parking lot and I stopped and I said, what? <laughs> God gave us the Bible to show us we are sinners. Mm -hmm. And I was, I wanted to run back into the building and maybe burn it to the ground. Like yeah. God, that's not why, first of all, God didn't give us the Bible, you know, but, but that's not the invitation. Yeah. And so, you know, how do I, I want him to be immersed in the text, but I don't want it to come along with that BS framework yeah. or what the whole story is. So I think you mentioned that something like that happening even while you were here. Cause we've talked, we talked about that several yeah. years ago that there was a children's program and yeah. that the first teaching was to children was that they are sinners. Yeah. That and, might've been that same, yeah. that same experience. That and I've, I've been, I've thought about that for a long time and yeah. I thought, wow, that, that first of all, it's tragic. Yeah. You know, it's tragic. Yeah. Secondly, it really does place a huge burden on parents. It sure does. Listening yes. yes. To what's really being taught. That's right. Because you, you'd like to think that you just go drop your kids off at a program and you can trust yeah. what's going on there. Yes. And you can trust what they're learning. And what you're saying yes. to us is, no, you can't. You better have your ear to the ground. You better be listening because it might not be what you want your children to be knowing yeah. about the Bible and about God. Yes. So how I appreciate you saying on, that because yeah, yeah. it also brings me to, I, I, feel, I feel like what we're talking about here does have some generational components to it. Yeah. Because while, you know, many of the people that come to transforming communities who are mature leaders, 
um, who are also, you know, experiencing disillusionment yeah. um, and trying to find the more that will sustain them for their, their lives long haul in ministry. Yep. We also have those in the younger generation for whom that kind of the biblical, the need for the biblical theological basis for everything we do is not quite as significant. Sure. Am I right? Yeah. Yep. The younger yep. generation is coming along that, that is looking at things so differently. Yeah that they don't quite need it as much. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're more ready than the generation before them to jump into the deeper end of the pool. Am I right on that? Oh, I, I would totally agree. And there's many, many factors, but I think one of the shifts is, it's, it seems like the question they're asking is less about, is that biblically true? And more like, does it make you a more loving person? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> you know? I, I don't care about your theological gymnastics mm-hmm. if you're mean. Yeah. And if, exactly. and if you, yeah. So does it, and maybe a way to say this in biblical language is, does the fruit of your life back up what you're teaching me? Right. And if it does, I'm listening. Yes. Because <laughs> I know I need more of that fruit in my life. But if it doesn't, um, I might just take a pass. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that I have found to be very interesting is that the younger generation is not willing to be so selective in what they focus on in Scripture. And so there's a willingness to say, well, what about this part? Why do we talk about this part? Like, why do we talk about the fact that uh, (laughs) Jesus himself was an immigrant? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Why don't we let the scriptures and some of the very clear teachings of scripture about the poor and about welcoming the stranger, why don't we let that inform who we vote for and what we value and what we fight for? You know what I'm saying? And I I have to say it's challenging and I love it. I just, yes. I think it's so stimulating the yep. ways in which um, the younger generation is just willing to challenge the ways that our generation has interpreted scripture or what we focused on in scripture to the exclusion of other things in scripture yes. and to challenge the lack of integrity within that. Yep. That's right. So yeah, what would be a, what would be a place where you, you yourself might be challenging kind of the ways the older generation looks at scripture, interprets scripture to the oh. exclusion of other important scriptures? Oh, I mean, I, I think the, I think people are going to be writing about these last couple years in terms of the connection of American evangelical yes. religion with politics for years and years and maybe decades. And yes. what is happening right now, regardless of where you fall politically, mm-hmm. um, is, is shaking so many of us to the yes. very core. Yeah. And I'll just tell you, not even next generation, my brother, he's 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't even cross his mind to be a part of some of these things yeah. that you know you and me are trying to reform. Yeah, we're trying to like, reform it or bridge some sort of a gap <laughs> or something. And he's already rejected that as not even yeah. the faith he wants to be a part of. And you know why he rejects it? Because of the things he believes about Jesus. Yeah. So he and I have the most fascinating conversations because we believe such similar things about the way of Christ. And he... And I'm trying to, you know, include and transcend like we, like we had talked about, which I still think is the right way. But he, from his experience, there's nothing to include. Mm-hmm. Let it burn to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's find a way to flesh out 
um, the love of Jesus for the world. Right. But I mean, this is this moment we are in is so intense. And so one of my challenges, both to myself and to my peers and to the older generation is the two choices of be silent about what's going on in our country and world or drop constant partisan bombs. Mm -hmm. Those are two terrible options. Yeah. We have got to find that holy middle way where we engage the world, but we engage it in the way of Jesus. Right, right. Just, and know. I think that that's exactly where I wanted to go next was to Jesus, okay. to say yeah. the younger generation. <laughs> good place to go. Is this at all consistent with the life of Jesus as we see it in scripture? Yeah. And that that's become paramount. Yeah. There's a lot of other stuff that you can focus on, but what about the life of Jesus? Yeah. What about who Jesus was? Yes. And what he came to do and to be, and are we, are we being that? Yes. And that's where the disillusionment is, is if we use scripture to create categories and dogmas that actually move us away from being like Jesus in, yes. in radical presence on the earth. A number of years ago, I started getting involved with um, some of the work with Israel and Palestine. And so we would go over uh, to the Middle East and meet with peacemakers on both sides, mm -hmm. and just learning. And it was you know, just really life-changing. But at that point, I started, you know, I couldn't make sense of the whole of scriptures and all this. So I said, I'm going to spend as much time in the Beatitudes and then widely in the Sermon on the Mount. And so for months after that trip, I would just read the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon, just soak in mm -hmm. it. And I was shocked and horrified, especially to begin, by how many things Jesus said really made me feel uncomfortable compared to the theology that I had been raised in. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so, um, so what, I'm, what I've been trying to do is let Jesus' words reshape the theology I was given, not the other way around. Yes. And obviously, yes. we all see, we read the text through our filters. We exactly. We do that. So I'm not pretending that I can see it clearly, but at least in the moments where I feel the tension between my worldview, inherited worldview, and what I hear uh, Jesus speaking through the text, I'm trying to let Jesus's words, uh, you know, yeah, form yeah. the other. Well, and I think the commitment to practices also takes us in a different direction than a commitment to beliefs, because Ooh, yes. the practices of Jesus, the practices of the New Testament, practices yeah. like love, practices yeah. like welcoming right. a stranger, practices yeah. like um, forgiveness, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, being angry and not sinning, yeah. uh, the Eucharist. I mean, if we are just going to engage it at the head level and be very heady about our faith, then yeah. we can avoid the practices that would actually change who we Absolutely. are on the inside and who we are with each other in this world. Well said. Can yeah. I tell a story about that? Please, yes. Um, so this is 2016 as the election furor was taking over and it was so nasty at that point. This is in the September, you know, uh, early, early fall. And we were meeting every Sunday night and I would, you know, we as a team were just talking about how are we becoming more Jesus-y in this truly diabolical uh, national conversation? Mm -hmm. and, um, and so what we did is we said, um, everybody knows that we should love each other. And we, you know, we know all these facts. Yeah. Let's do a practice. So we always did a confession, silence, and an assurance every Sunday. And so we said, let's add another practice. 
every Sunday we're going to do our confession, silence, and assurance, and then we're going to pray for one enemy. Mm. And it was the same thing. We, and I introduced it this way every time. We know Jesus said at multiple times in the text, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, you know, but we don't ever do it. We don't ever do it. And so we're going to do it 52 times this year. And over the course of the year, we're going to let that form our hearts. And so we, some weeks it would be very personal. I would say, is there someone in your life, in your circle, mm-hmm. who's become like an enemy? Would you spend a moment just praying God's blessing? Um, one Sunday, as we got late into the fall, we paused and we put up two photos, a photo of Donald Trump and a photo of Hillary Clinton. And I just said, all right, don't pray for the one you're rooting for. Mm-hmm. Pray for the other one. Yeah. Oh, and, so good, Aaron. Yeah, so well, good. and I said, don't pray that God would change them or uh-huh. smite them, <laughs> or <laughs> you know, um, pray that God would bless them. Yes. Pray for their kids. Can you imagine being a kid of a presidential? Like yeah. I said, pray for their marriages. Mm-hmm. Pray for pray that God would bless them because we know God loves both of these human beings. Yes, and it was uncomfortable, and we all admitted afterwards we hated it. Yes, <laughs> we, yes. and then we did it again. Yeah, because yeah. it's yeah, it's these formative practices yes. that we do over and over. So because you can't engage that practice authentically and not have at least some small shift take place in, in your heart. Yes. Not that you yes. believe their ideology or anything, no. or you even yeah. like their character. Nope. Nope. But something nope. softens in you. You, you open to them as a yes. human. You, yes. you, you do the thing that we're told to do in scripture, which is to pray for your leaders, you know? Yes. Um, yes. So it, we don't have to pretend just like you said, we like their, their, their politics, or even we think they're good, good exactly. people. To, to consent to the reality yeah. that God made them and mm-hmm. loves them like crazy. Yep, yep. Yeah, it, that is so powerful, Aaron. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, hey, let's, um, let's shift a little bit now okay. and um, talk about the, the worship gathering as a place of practice because yeah. um, there's, you know, the, the whole privatized spirituality that yeah. can actually be quite characteristic of, of, of our you know, Protestant ethic, you know, like my praying yeah. is what I do with God and by myself. And yeah. yeah, I do gather, but my gatherings with people don't, don't really do much to shift or change me. And this is part of my story um, within our Plymouth Brethren shared history Yeah, is that my dad is, you know, was a pastor, although we didn't have ordained clergy, we had what we called itinerant preachers, but, but, you know, his role was his paid work. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Okay. Did discuss coordination. Yeah. Um, So, you know, as a child, one of the things that was just a part of my experience was that I would look up at this thing called the church and I would see it, you know, from the eyes of a child and I would see it kind of from underneath and from the standpoint of being a Mm -hmm. pastor's kid. And there's a kind of a seamy underbelly there's, you know, to life in the church. And I saw that. And one of the things that was so striking to me, even as a young girl in junior high, was that I could see that people, some of these people had been going to church three times a week for 50 years mm. and were not changing. Oh, yes. Lord have mercy. Yes. yes. Um, they were still stuck in their bad relational patterns. Yeah. Their marriages, some of the marriages yeah. were really painful to watch. Yeah. There was still jealousy and um, gossip and manipulation and territorialism, all those things that are just 
the darker human dynamics of us all that need to be transformed and that should be yes. being transformed in the context of our life together in community. Yeah. So the question of not only how do we have a private spirituality where we're opening ourselves to God, but how do we open to God's transforming work yeah. in the gathering, if you will? Yes. Yes. As we come together, what is it about the way we gather yes. that opens us? So that's been a passion for us here in the Transforming Center, and it's your passion as well. Absolutely. So talk about that a little bit, you know, from your standpoint. Yeah. A worship oh, man. leader is someone who holds space and leads worship. Yeah. Talk about oh, I'm that so, a little bit. I'm so excited about this conversation. So I will stop me. Don't yes, let me just I will. go on I'll jump in if I need to. <laughs> Let me start with a story. Uh, a mentor of mine, John Whitfilly, who um, leads the worship department at uh, Calvin College. Yes. Um, he, was, he said, Aaron, let me tell you a story. And he said, okay, you have a little kid, right? And at the time I had a one-year-old, uh, Mac. And he said, um, when Mac turned one, the most loving thing you could do for him as he started to find his voice was to teach him words that helped him express what was going on inside of him. Because you know that pre-verbal stage is so frustrating. He yeah. has all these feelings and he can't express them. And so it's loving to help him say, I'm hungry or mm -hmm. I'm scared to express. But then John said, but at a certain point, you're going to have to teach Mac words he would never naturally choose to express. But as he says those words, they will form him into the kind of human being and adult you want him to become. And he said, so that's why you'll teach Mac words like, I'm sorry, or please. I mean, what three-year-old ever says, you know, my fault, you know, I'll take responsibility. No, of course not. We have to learn the language of taking responsibility. And then as we practice it, it forms us. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, we were talking about this in terms of worship and my brain started exploding because as a worship leader, I had led exclusively expressive worship. Mm -hmm. We're going to come together and I'm going to help people express what is naturally going on in their hearts. And to be clear, I mean, look at the Psalms. This is all over the Psalms. This is a really important part of what we do when we gather but I had never considered the formative side of worship and what it does in us. Like that story about if we choose, we never choose to say, Hey, I want to pray for my enemy today, mm -hmm. yes. but we choose to as this, as a formative worship practice that forms us over time. And so John, what he said to me is he said, I would get your team together and try to discern as a community, what words does your community love to express? What just naturally pours out? Keep doing that. That's so good. But then also ask the question, what are the words, you know, metaphorically, that your community doesn't express very well as a community? And could you consider in the next few months beginning to include some of those formative practices? Mm -hmm. so for our community at that time, we were great at celebration. We were great at gratitude. We were great at energy but we did not deal with our sadness very well. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what to do when life was tough. You know, we love these, you know, uh, celebrate with those who are celebrating, but we did not know how to mourn with those who are mourning. And so we said, what are the practices that help us begin to tiptoe into lament? Mm -hmm. um, a third of the Psalms are laments, yeah. but approximately 0.0% of our worship songs were laments. And so we said, how do we begin to include that? And so I could 
tell 10 different stories, whether it's praying for the world, whether it's silence, whether it's, you know, but what are the expressive words? Keep doing those. But then what are the formative words Mm -hmm. that will form us? Yes. Yes. Can I say one more thing about this? Yes, please. Yeah. And then, and this is where um, the ecumenical work and learning has been so important Um, because, you know, growing up in my tradition, I had this toolbox and to this day, I think it was a really good toolbox, um, but it really only had one kind of worship and get worship expression. You know, it was, I, I just call it four songs and a hymn. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. And we still do this in many, in many situations. And I love it. But I just realized, like, if you just, if you only uh, serve one kind of meal every week, you're not going to create fully healthy worshipers. Yeah. And so like my wife has said, she, she, she observed, she said, Aaron, it seems like basically you just want to serve a well-balanced meal every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yes, Shauna, that is exactly yeah. it. And so looking around at the, at the other Christian traditions, you start noticing, wow, they serve different food groups. <laughs> How can I learn from our Catholic brothers and sisters and the way they engage, the holy way they approach the table? Well, that is so different and potentially really helpful. How do we learn from our charismatic brothers and sisters and the way they make room for the Holy Spirit in ways that sometimes makes me uncomfortable, but is undeniably powerful? How do we learn from our Anglican brothers and sisters? And so um, that has been profoundly influential in, um, in creating a, a worship liturgy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that is more of a well-balanced meal mm-hmm. than just one meal. So, yeah. All right, I'm rambling now. Mm. No, you're not. I'm, I'm, you're, I'm writing quickly because you're saying such great stuff. Um, it makes me so grateful as I listen to you talk that God has brought our paths together mm-hmm. um, to do some of these things together because um, within the Transforming Center, you know, we have, there are two practices that we have you know, kind of built everything we do around. And one is fixed hour prayer. Yep. So on our retreats, we pray four times a day, morning, midday, evening, and night. And they are yep. liturgical services, which by definition means that they have a lot of the things that you just mentioned. There's a, sure. a, a wide yep. variety of things that we experience and practice and pray and words that we say yep. that we allow to form us. And that's what we understand them to be doing. Yes. But we learn to pray by praying. We learn to pray by praying the great prayers of the church, by praying the canticles, by praying um, the biblical prayers. <clears throat> um, and then that there are ex- experiences that we can engage in together in worship that open us to God together. Yes. And um, I've so appreciated, you know, bring able, being able to have you come in and bring some of the work that you've been doing. Um, the other thing that occurs to me, and you've mentioned it briefly in this conversation, that the, the words that don't come easily, the words that we need to pray yes. but wouldn't choose yes. to pray or wouldn't know to pray if we didn't get guided. Yep. Um, the, you know, the, the, all the practices around self-examination and confession, those are the hard ones too. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And I yep. think as Protestants, we often keep that private. Mm. Or if you're in the liturgical tradition, you do it as a corporate practice, yep. but it can be kind of rote. And yeah, we all, right. you know, have prayed those prayers too. Um, yeah. But one of the things that we've sought to live into is how do we how do we bring those together and how how does the worship gathering, how can it be a place where... Um, I cannot actually confess in the community, in the gathering, my own personal sin yes. and have the community serve 
as a community that can remind me of God's forgiveness. Yes. Um, yes. Which takes me, you know, to another thing that you and I share in common as it relates to the gathering. And that is the priesthood of all believers, which was so embedded in our tradition. Yes. Um, yep. And so for me, one of the things that can happen in that gathering is that we experience ourselves, all of us to be priests together. Yep. Um, yep. And we would be very careful about how we elevate any of the leadership roles and actually try to downplay them in some ways so that the priesthood of all believers can be experienced and lived and seen. Yeah. And that's and, one of those things that God just, you know, you know, brings you back around to that. Yep. Yeah. The priesthood of all believers was, you know, something we practiced deeply in the Plymouth Brethren because there was no ordination. I had to get used to the idea of ordination yeah. of any kind of clergy. Yep. Um, yep. And then there's the whole celebrity mentality that developed after that. So yes. now it's not ordained clergy necessarily, but it's pastor celebrities, you know, and celebrity worship leaders and things like that. And none of the rest of us can touch that. Yes. Um, so what we're just, I think what we're experiencing together and have experienced together is kind of bringing together a liturgical ecumenical tradition and what all that has to offer. Um, yeah. Not setting something up where there's any celebrity in the room doing leading. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, and then being priest to one another and then allowing a lot of space for the Holy Spirit to do the deep work, but in the communal gathering. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you said that, Ruth, uh, for two reasons. One, the priesthood of all believers, that idea is probably the thing I'm most grateful for yes. from, from our shared tradition. Yes. I will hold on that, hold on to that to my final breath. I agree with you. And it's so deeply biblical. It's so deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, biblical. Yeah. You just can't avoid yes, it. <laughs> that's right. If you're really reading your Bible. That's right. And what I love is you mentioned both the priestly function in our higher church mm -hmm. tradition, uh, brothers and sisters, but also the celebrity impressive person. Yes. And what, what I worry that both, um, both formats accidentally contribute or apps oh, sorry i'm saying this poorly i worry that both of these frameworks accidentally teach you can't do this without us mm -hmm. yes exactly so a priest you can't come to the table right. to christ's presence without me mediating yes and then the celebrity you not even celebrity just the impressive gifted mm -hmm. person up on the stage you can't have a God experience without my mega gift. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thankful for priests, and I'm thankful for mega talented uh, servants uh, of God. But that that message is really dangerous. I remember when I was at Willow, um, we were doing a thing on a weekend that was combining um, the video department with a drama thing with a full, uh, like four string, uh, string quartet and this big production. And it was stunningly beautiful. I believed in it so deeply. But I remember we got to the end of that weekend and I was driving home and I thought, that was so beautiful, but you can only do that in an $80 million auditorium. <laughs> yes. And is it possible that one of the accidental things we taught people was, well, you better wait until next week mm -hmm. to come back to this auditorium to, to experience something like that again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and worship or gathering then becomes about the wow factor. Yeah, that's right. That's rather right. than what's going on between me and God actually. Yes. In service. Yes. And I'm opening 
to God's transforming work in myself within this moment. Yes. And that's a very internal thing. And that's going on quietly all over the room. Oh, yeah. Um, And we who are leading services like that, we have to trust it's going on even when we can't see it, even when we're not doing the bells and whistles and the listening thing, you know, that that there's a deeper work that God's doing. It's a little bit quieter. Oh, Aaron, I could just keep talking to you forever and ever about these. Oh, yes. But I want to, um, there's so many directions I want to go, but I'm almost <laughs> over. So yeah, sure. let me, um, you know, put the focus back on you and just say that, you know, your book is so wonderful, The Eternal Current. Oh, I resonate you. with everything in it. You've stated it all so well. Um, and you wrote this book on the basis of your experiences with the practices, with the practice at Willow. And then yeah. your life took a turn and um, that season was over for you. And now you're in a new season. And so what can you say to, to me and to our listeners about your transition from that to where you are now and how you're still living out the things that you believe so deeply, but maybe yeah. in a different context? Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking. Um, you know, like every experience, the fact that this, was, that this practice community was born in Willow Creek Community Church is um, (laughs) such a fascinating part of the story. Um, It only happened because the leadership of Willow approved it and then funded it. They supported it. They did not try to control it. So I will forever be thankful to the Willow leadership for this thing happening. Um, And it was never really at home there. And that's probably the understatement of the universe, right? Um, And so we were doing such different things. There became a time for me that that I was just like, man, I need to be able to pursue this outside of these walls. Mm -hmm. And so thankfully, literally one of the best human beings on the planet, Jason Pfeffer, was a part of the community and he stepped up and he's still leading it and it is growing and deepening and it continues to this day, which is just so beautiful. Um, but then I jumped into writing the book because I wanted to be able to share the story. And then now I'm in uh, New York City, actually, in Chelsea, and I'm in seminary. So at General Theological Seminary. And I'm just trying to learn like crazy. Yeah, so I'm wonderful. going to Episcopal uh, Mass uh, most mornings, and it's it's wonderful and it's terrible and it's awkward and it's beautiful and I'm just learning 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 like crazy and uh just a couple weeks ago we started a Wednesday night kind of practice-based gathering of our church Mm -hmm. here at General and so that's been fun to get back into the leading these practices and guiding these experiences and Mm. so it's been it's been just a wild ride Lots. It's primarily. I'm primarily grateful, um, as as you can imagine. Moments of profound pain and 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 confusion along the way. But I think that's the journey. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, and I'm gr- I'm just grateful that with your move, um, that God has given us connection points. So you fly back to be with yeah, us, that's right. Center and to lead worship among us, which has been a great gift and. And it, just to say, one of the surprising gifts of my life is that you and I have been able to work together in, mm. um, you know, putting together and leading yeah. worship services. You've been really grateful, gracious to to bring your gifts and to add it to a thing that's that already exists, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that that is it's its own discipline. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yet, I feel that what has resulted from our partnership in that, from our um, collegial. Yeah, you no know, relationship is is really beautiful and impactful. 
Um, as yeah. we close, I have, a, I have a quote that I wanted to share as we close. Um, and then I'm going to uh, pull out a thread of a practice that I wanted to encourage our listeners to, to work with um, cool. coming out of this podcast. And it's, it is from an Anglican theologian, as uh, quoted in the Christian Century. W.H. Uh, Vanstone says this, The church is like a swimming pool in which all the noise comes from the shallow end but most of the wisdom is to be found in the deep end Mm -hmm. among those who have taken the time and cultivated the habits and disciplines to learn to swim in deeper waters. If we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we need the kind of sustained learning that leads us into the deeper end of the pool. Wow. And I believe that's what we're talking about here today. That's what your work is about, Aaron. It's what our work is about is to give people the kind of sustained learning in the practices that help us to swim strong in the deep end of the pool of the kingdom of God. And so, so grateful for your work. I'm grateful for our friendship. Uh, This has been such a fun conversation. Yeah, Uh, Is there a last word you want to give before I pull out the thread? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think the thing I keep coming back to is the practices don't cause God to do anything. God is already working. Yes. The practices open us up to what God has been doing all along. Mm, yes. And that's been so helpful. This is not, um, all right, now you need to earn God's blessing. Now you need to be a good Christian and add these 20 things to your list. You know, um, Last night we were doing centering prayer as a community. And I just said, you, we don't practice centering prayer so that God is impressed and s- speaks to us. God is already whispering. Mm-hmm. This prayer just opens us up to that still small voice. So that would be my encouragement Amen. to you, to me, um, and to all of our listeners. We're not convincing God by our good performance. We're yes. finally yes. consenting to what God's been doing all along. Yes. Amen. We will have um, notes about where, where and how to contact Aaron. We'll have links to his, you know, whatever he wants us to link to. Do okay. you want to say... Um, a website or a link or any, any way in which you'd like people to know that they can be in touch with you and see your work? Yeah. Well, the book is The Eternal Current and all the information of, about it and a new liturgy and the different things we've been doing is at my website, which is just AaronNequist.com. Awesome. Com. So that's where everything is. Good. Well, uh, the practice that I want to call us, call out for us as we uh, close our conversation is to pray for one enemy. I love what you described and we don't even need, we don't need a gathering or a church to do that. Right, Aaron? Pick, <laughs> pick, pick, pick somebody you just don't like or who seems yeah. to be really different than who you are or, yeah. for, or someone that stands for things that you don't agree with. Someone that yeah. just is under your skin. That's the definition of an enemy. And <laughs> Who do you find? Who do you find yourself having imaginary conversations yes, with? Yes, <laughs> or who do you person. want to dismiss and wish wasn't even on the planet? Yeah, no, that's um, that's that's and good. pray for them. Yep. Thank you, Aaron, for raising that practice for us. Yeah. And let's let's do that within the next okay. twenty four hours. Each of us, yes. let's find a way to do some serious praying for one of our enemies. The yes. Lord bless you, Aaron. It's been good to be in conversation, and we look forward to all all good in your life and in our shared journey. Thank you. Yeah. Blessings to you too. Thanks. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, 
please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.